So today's scripture comes from um, Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. We're in the season of Advent, and... um, and we just went through a, a, a long and I hope in, but enjoyable series and a challenging series on evangelism. But we're going to shift gears now. Um, Advent means coming. And it's about the coming, of, of course, of God into a time of, of darkness. Because without God, we, that's where we are. We're floundering around in the darkness. And um, I've actually, I, I, I took a look through uh, all the years. I've been, now for those of you who don't know, when it comes to this February of uh, just uh, uh, that's coming up in 2017. I'll have been serving at this church for eight years, and I looked at all the Advent texts I've ever preached, and I've, I've never preached on this one. Um, it's a, it's, uh, I don't know why I picked such a long text for a day that I got to preach shorter, okay, and tighter. But, um, but it's a, it's a text about um, this is the way the Gospel of Luke opens up. And the Gospel of Luke talks about that Luke, he's a doctor, and he's one of the early um, followers of Jesus, one of the er- early leaders and apostles, actually, in the group of Paul. And the way, when he forms together of all the stuff that he's, he's called together, this history and all this understanding, the way he opens up the Gospel is not with 
Jesus. It's not about the story of Jesus. It isn't the story of Christmas. It's about the story of the forerunner of Jesus, about John the Baptist. And I'm, I'm going to tell you a bit about this story today and how it's relevant to our lives and why it's important in terms of this time of, of this year of Advent. And I'll do this in three parts, okay? Part one, a good man in sin, right? A good man, yet he is in sin. <laughs> Part two, idolatrous identity and spiritual blindness. There's a lot of us who don't really quite understand sin, and even if you do, it will still help us to be reminded um, we're all in sin in different kinds of ways, and I want to point this out today. And it's something especially good for us to think about as we think about um, the coming of Jesus. And part three, the sunrise of repentance. Right? So part one, a good man in sin. Part two, idolatrous identity and spiritual blindness. And part three, the sunrise of repentance. Now, if you have your Bible, I hope you're in Luke chapter one, whether you're in your app. I want you to go... Just turn back to verse 5. And, and the way to get into this, now, there's a, there's a story, there's a backstory, and what I'd like to do is I'm going to read through this so that you can hear the backstory of this, um, of this couple, of this man named Zechariah, who is a priest in the temple, and his wife, Elizabeth, and they're going to have a baby, and that baby is going to be a pretty important person. His name is John the Baptist, who is the person who makes the way for Jesus. That's what all this, so it's all about coming. Um, but let's get into this. Verse 5. So, that, like I said, this is the way the Gospel of Luke opens after, you know, this introductory portion. Verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. See? He's a priest. Of the, the division of Abiah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So, you guys want to know where this famous name Elizabeth comes from? It's right here. Um, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So, I, I, like I said before, before we even got anything, I told you he's a good man. That's a pretty, that's a really strong description of, of, of what type of person he is. They were righteous before God, walking blameless in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But now, but there's something that's hard about their life. Verse 7. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So you guys see this? Now, I, 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 I don't know if you just, I, there's a number of people in this congregation who are, who are relatively young. I want you to understand, in this one verse, a world is being said. Um, I, I, if you've ever met um, anybody or talked to anybody who wanted to have children and then couldn't, I don't, I don't know if you understand how unbelievably painful that is for people. It is an unbelievably painful thing for people. And these people have experienced this pain. It is an aching, gnawing, terrible pain for both the husband and the wife. And it is something that happens year in and year out. They try to have a baby, and then no pregnancy. They try to have a baby, and then no pregnancy. Or then they, they conceive, and then maybe there's a pregnancy, and then... The, the pregnancy doesn't make it. This happens. And then to go through this year in and year out, especially when you're in the prime of your years, when you're in those, those childbearing years, and then you get past those years, a certain kind of deep sadness and hurt and despair 
hits. And then they get to, then it says they get old. So it says here they were old. So this is the kind of people that they are. On the one hand, deeply faithful, and they love their God, and they're considered blameless. I mean, that's a pretty powerful word. And yet on the other hand, they have this great pain. This is, this, there's this, a story that's told to you, like this isn't the way life was supposed to work, turn out, right? This, isn't, this wasn't the plan of their life. And by the way, if this is painful in the 21st century, I want you to understand that in a culture like this, where family is everything, in our culture, kind of like career is everything, or finding the love of your life is everything, or some combination of the above. I'm going to have the great career, and I'm going to find the love of my life. And then hopefully a couple of kids will come along, right? You know, that's kind of how we think you know, here in the 21st century, but that's not how they think. In this culture, if you don't have children, and you don't have this full family, and you don't have many children, your, your life didn't work out. Right? That's, that's how people see it. Your life broke and failed. And everywhere you go, everybody will see it. It's not like people can find out, like, I have a job and nobody knows it. You know, your job didn't work out the way you want. Like, I'm, you know, like, I'm an accountant, but really, I, I really wanted to be a doctor. I mean, like, nobody, you, know, if, you know, today you can kind of hide that and nobody can tell. But in this culture, if you don't have children, everybody knows. And especially if you're old and you don't have children, people will look at you with sadness and pity. That's the way it is in this culture. The story goes on. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Oh, you guys see it? So here's his job. By the way, you know, he's a priest. It's not sort of like a Catholic priest, you know, like, like today. He's kind of like some halfway between a pastor and sort of like a person who kind of runs the whole operation. He's almost more like an administrative clerk. You know, you should understand the, the temple is a big operation. And there's different divisions of priests. On some days, you, you know, you're just working some operation, and they take different, you know, crews. And so today, his his portion is to run the incense. And while he comes, an angel is there. He he encounters an angel standing there, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, the angel, and fear fell upon him. All right. Let, let me give you the 21st century translation. He was scared to death, <laughs> okay? I mean, he was utterly terrified. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, because he's terrified, okay? Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. What do you think that prayer is? And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, okay? So get this now. They're old, <laughs> And they have gone through the prime of their life feeling, that's it, this is it. This is all I'm ever going to have in my life. In my life, this is it. I'm just going to have a sad life, and my life is not much of a life. And everywhere they go, they, they see pity upon, upon them. And now they're old, and this angel, just scared to death, just says, you're going to have a baby. 
and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he'll be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. I mean, these are incredible things. I mean, I can't explain all this time. I can't... Um, Elijah is the greatest prophet of all time, and he's saying your son's going to be right there, something like one of the greatest prophets of all time. Hmm. And your son will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's a pretty powerful statement. Sons will turn to their fathers, and disobedient people will turn just. That's what your son's going to do. Wow. Okay. I mean, we would just be happy if he just has a nice life and isn't sick or something. That's what your son's going to do. Then this story gets interesting. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I am, okay, time out. You know, Gabriel, Gabriel's one of the highest archangels. <laughs> so when he says his name, he's like saying, um, you know who I am? <laughs> I'm one of the top, top angels. So you should understand what I just told you. I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. I'm not one of these like low angels that's way down here. I stand right by God, okay? And... I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, here's the sign. So how will I know this is, this is going to actually happen? Um, here's what's going to happen. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these take place because you didn't believe what I said. You did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. You can just kind of see it. You're like, uh, where the heck is the guy? Right? And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making... <laughs> this is what happened. He kept making signs and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. That's the backstory. And then... You know, and then there's all this stuff about Mary. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. And then there's like a break, and then it kind of goes into Mary, and, and then and then Mary's you know told the news, and then she visits Elizabeth, and then we pick up at this where it says, and then Elizabeth gave birth, and then you know they they went out to circumcise him, and then on that day of circumcision they're going to name him, and usually they name him something that's like common in the family. And then she says, no, we're going to name him John. And they're like, what? You know, no, nobody's got that name in your family. And so then they look to the dad, and Zechariah's like, <laughs> still can't talk. I mean, months later. Can you, have you guys ever not talked when you wanted to talk? I, I know what this is like, because right? I got sick many years ago. I won't go into those details. 
And I've had people visit me, and it's weird. You're like perfectly lucid in your mind, and you can't talk. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing. Right? And he couldn't do this for something close to 10 months. How would you like that? <laughs> 10 months. Can't say a word. And then he finally, and then he, and he's, and he, you know, he points it out. His, his name's going to be John. And as soon as that comes out, boom, he could talk. <laughs> now he could talk. <laughs> as soon as he could talk, they were like shocked. <laughs> now they're shocked. And they knew that a miracle had occurred. Now, obviously, they already have noticed a miracle has occurred because these old people are having a kid. <laughs> and they knew something happened to him. And um, even though he's a very good man, and then he, he sings this, I don't know if he sang it, or he just burst out into this prophecy. And, um, and the, the final portion of this prophecy says something that, that I want to uh, sit in on for the rest of the, of, the, of the sermon. Because it applies to him. It applies to us. Right? It says this, um, that the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise will, will visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Um, I want to, you know, as I move to part two of my message, um, do you know that, you know, you may be a Christian and believe in Jesus, but you can still be in darkness. Do you know that? That's what this passage is about. There's a guy Names that most people read this passage. Oh, you know, they don't know anything about Jesus. Jesus is going to show up. Now there's going to be light. On one level, that's true. I think that is the simplest reading of this passage, but there's actually a deeper reading of this passage. Why is Zechariah singing this great thing about shining into the darkness? Because I, I think he was in the darkness, which is strange because he's a godly man. <laughs> I told you that he was a good man, yet he was in sin. And that's what I want to talk about in this part, too. There is a way that we can be in darkness. Now, um, I want to just, just take a moment here. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a professor that I really respect. Um, well, he used to be a professor at Westminster Seminary in counseling. And I sat under him. Um, his name is Ted Tripp. And Ted Tripp, I mean, um, Paul Tripp. His brother's Ted Tripp. Paul Tripp said this way. Um, if, you, um, if you can't walk and you know you have that wound, um, that's a bad thing, isn't it? Like, let's say you break your leg. You know you're hurting, right? You know you have a problem because as soon as you try to get up, you won't be able to do it. But what if you're blind and you don't know that you're blind? Because <laughs> that's what spiritual blindness is like. If you're physically blind, you know that you're blind because you're going to, like, bump into things. You're, oh, oops, sorry. I guess I, I didn't see you. Okay? But if you're spiritually blind, do you know that you don't see you don't, even, you don't see, but you don't know that you don't see. <laughs> and so you, you're in a darkness, but you don't know it. Isn't that strange? <laughs> Isn't that weird? I think that's the kind of darkness that Zechariah is talking about here in this passage. And it's a darkness that afflicts not only um, unbelievers who are not Christians, but it afflicts Christians. <laughs> you can believe in Jesus, and you can still have this spiritual darkness. And I think it was in him. He's a good man, and yet his life wasn't built on God. I, 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 that's what I see in him. 
It's, he's like, how can that be? He's a priest. Doesn't that mean he serves God? So somewhere along the line, um, by, by the way, he could be a priest and not necessarily wanting to do it because there are certain tribes that are chosen to work for the temple. And so it's sort of like your daddy worked for the temple and your granddaddy worked for the temple. So you work for the temple, even though, you know, you might, you might have wanted to be a baseball player. <laughs> I mean, you get what I'm saying. There was no baseball back then, but you get what I'm saying, right? And so... Isn't his whole life built on God? He's a priest. And it says that he was blameless and he keeps all the laws. Isn't he just a good man? His whole life is built on God? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I want to give you, um, some of you may already know this. Uh, uh, you know, the, I'm going to read that out of this book. Um, this is Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. And... Um, you know, in, in recent weeks, I just want to share with you, I, sometimes, um, so, sometimes, I, I don't always like being a pastor, guys. <laughs> and, um, you know, you guys knew that, right? I mean, some of you probably thought, I'm just this holy man, I wake up every day, I love Jesus, I pray for you for hours and hours, and I just want to, like, get into the Bible, and I just do this all the time, and I just want to do this for free, right? <laughs> I mean, that's probably what you think of me, right? That's not true, I assure you, okay? And, um, and you know, you sometimes it grinds to be a pastor. And, um, and, and so I, I, I go to certain guys to revive my love for the Lord, and Tim Keller is one of those guys. I was actually studying this book um, in preparation for the Seekers class that we want to give, but what it did for me was it, 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 um, it convicted me. Um, Let me read this. Tim Keller gives a definition of sin. Most of us think it's about doing bad things. It's not a good definition. (laughs) There's a famous Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. He's a Christian. He wrote a fascinating little book called The Sickness Unto Death, 1849. In it, he defines sin in a way that is rooted in the Bible, but was also accessible to to us contemporary people. Sin is in despair not wanting to be oneself before God. Did you hear that? Not wanting to be yourself before God because you're in despair. What's faith? Faith is that the self in being itself and wanting to be itself is grounded transparently in God. In other words, fully, I'm built on God. Myself is grounded in Him. Sin is the despairing refusal to find your deepest identity in your relationship and service to God. Sin is seeking to become oneself to get an identity apart from God. Let me ask you this. Do you build your identity on God? Um, I'm a pastor. I think on some days I do, and on some days I build my identity on my work. I know what this is talking about. I read this thing, and I was like, oh, gosh. It's weird, because I know this. <laughs> it's weird, but I know this. But I go back to this sin all the time. What does this mean? Everyone gets their identity, their sense of being distinct and valuable 
from somewhere or something. See, you all have to be distinct, some special me. And then you have to get your valuable, but what makes me me from something, somewhere. Some, this, if I have this, then I'm special. Then I have value. That's how we all operate. That's your identity. <laughs> and if it's not in God, that's sin. Kierkegaard asserts that human beings were made not only to believe in God in some, some general way, but to love him supremely, center their lives on him above anything else, and build their very identities on him. Anything other than this is sin. I think that's what Zechariah is doing. See, Zechariah does all the outer, exterior things that you're supposed to do as a Christian. I mean, he's a priest. He's a professional Christian. <laughs> right? And he's blameless. So everything that he does, nobody can say, that was bad. You didn't do anything bad. And yet, I think he didn't not, he's not building his life on God. Heck, when God actually gave him the thing he was praying for, he didn't even believe it. What do you think he's building his life on? He's building his life on, if I could just be a father, and if I just get kids, then everybody will see I'm, I have worth and value in our society, and then my life will be full. That's what he's thinking. Do you do that? Maybe not the, the, the having a kid, but something else. Do you do that? I bet you you do. I know you do. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a sinner. <laughs> it takes one to know one. Most people think of sin primarily as breaking divine rules. But Kierkegaard knows that the very first of the Ten Commandments is to have no other gods before me. So according to the Bible, the primary way to find sin is not just doing the bad things, but making some good thing. This is the good thing. If I just have this, then, then this is my identity. I'll get my identity. My life will be good. But making those good things the ultimate things. It is seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness than your relationship to God. Um, you know, he likes to quote this uh, guy. Um, he, he's, he's not even a Christian. He, he quotes this book called uh, Denial of Death, written by uh, a Pulitzer Prize winning um, author, a guy named Ernst Becker. I think Ernst Becker is a psychologist, actually. I'm not, I can't forget, I forget his, uh, his actual prof uh, uh, profession. And he says that we have this need all right, for self-worth, and so that's it. Self-worth. My worth, my identity, they're the same thing. You understand? My identity, this thing that I built and this thing that I get my uh, uh, worth from, if I have this, then I'm special, then I have my identity. And if you get this thing, then you think you'll be happy and your life will be full and your life will be good. And if you don't, and because I don't, this is why my life is not it's, it's, it's at the core of everything. And this is, this is the amazing thing about Ernst Becker. He says this. He, says, um, uh, he begins by noting that a child has a need for self-worth. It is the very condition for his life. So much so that every person is desperately seeking cosmic significance. 
He warns the reader not to take this term lightly. Our need for worth is so powerful that whatever we base our identity and value on, we essentially deify. You know what that means? You make it your God. A secular guy wrote that. This, this, is the, this is the kind of language you use. The self-glorification that modern man needs. Sometimes, you know, we put in something else. So it would be an example. So for some people, you might, you might want to, you, if you find the love of your life, I'm just going to find, the, if I just find the perfect love of your life. By the way, married people do this too. They marry somebody, and that's supposed to be the love of their life. And on the day they get married, they say, you're the love of my life, Right? And then guess what? Five years into the marriage, this person is fantasizing about somebody else because, you know what? This person is not the love of my life. If this person was a little more like this and a little bit more like that. And then that's what leads to divorce. That's what leads to affairs. Or that just leads to a cold marriage while this person is always fantasizing about somebody else. And then constantly watching romance movies or constantly like going to the porn. And he goes on to say, that's what they do. And you know what? Of course, we never actually admit this is what they do. It's just kind of going on in secret. I'll give you one other example. This is Kellerick's example. Um, As a pastor at my first church in Virginia, I found myself counseling two different women, both of whom were married, both of whom had husbands who were bad fathers, right? And both of whom had teenage sons who were beginning to get into trouble in school and into the law. So you got a son, they're becoming criminals. And the wife has a husband who kind of stinks as a dad. You see it? There's two of them. Both of the women were angry at their husbands. I advised them and talked, among other things, about the problem of unresolved bitterness and the importance of forgiveness. Can you please forgive your husband? Both women agreed and sought to forgive. However, the woman who had the worst husband and who was the least religious, one of the ones who was less of a Christian, she forgave her husband. The other woman, the other woman didn't. This puzzled me for months until one day the unforgiving woman blurted out, well, if my son goes down the drain, then my whole life will have been a failure. She had centered her life on her son's happiness and success. That's why she couldn't forgive her husband. See it? She's a Christian. She goes to church. For all we know, she's a really good Christian. She sings in the choir, or she's on the praise team, and she sets up Christmas parties, okay? And, like, like, and, and, and she's the most reliable person at church. She's blameless, just like Zechariah. But if her son turns into a criminal, she'll never forgive her husband. Oh, but he's a bad father, and he, it's his fault. That's why her son is a thief, Well, that may be true. But her life is, the happiness of her life is not in God. Um, Let me close my message. You know, this is what Advent is for. (laughs) 
uh, I, I was just like, wow, this is a hard, like, Pastor Susan, you're like really sticking it to me today. <laughs> this is actually what Advent is for. The passage says that we were in darkness. And Zechariah says that his son was born so that he could point to a sunrise given by the tender mercy of God. I want to ask you today, is there some place in your life where you regularly fantasize, and if this is the thing, if I just have this thing, then my life will be happy. Let me tell you that, and if it's not, if it has nothing to do with God, that's, that, that's your sin. That's the way you're building your life. That's your blindness. That's your darkness. Or is there a place in your life where you're really sad, like Zechariah? And your kind of your life is just kind of mopey, and that's it. Or you're angry, and you're bitter, and you can't get over it. Because, but whatever it is that's causing it, that means your life, your life, your life had to have this, and because it wasn't there, you you're you're mad, huh? or you're sad. But this is actually everybody. You you notice? If I just get this thing, I'll be so happy. That's our fantasy. Oh, I don't have this thing. That's why I'm angry or I'm so sad. Sometimes you blame yourself. Sometimes you blame God. Sometimes you blame somebody else. Hmm? I just described everybody. <laughs> you know? You know? I just described all of you. Me too. This is darkness. And yet, into this God wanted us to offer this because we all think that if I just have this or if this just gets fixed, then or like it, it can't be fixed. And that, 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 but actually, actually, what God wanted to give us was Himself. And if you build your life on me and just follow me and do what I want of you, trust me, do what I want of you, even if it seems kind of nutty, you'll have a life in me. That's what God is saying. And it is a tender mercy. And so he sent not a fix, not a snap of his finger, not like fix your husband or get you the great job or fix your sickness or just, just, just snap you this finger and you won't be depressed or angry or bitter anymore. But instead, he gave us Jesus. Jesus who would walk with people who are bitter in darkness, and take on their bitterness and their darkness. And his light, the sunrise, would shine into the darkness. And if we would follow him and obey him and build our life on him, the sunrise can come in. And I want to say this thing to you today. There's no, I, I wish I could just give you a technique. If you do this, It'll fix it. Okay. If, you, if you think that, you're, just, you're, not, you're not thinking according to the gospel, okay? But I want, to, I want to give you this thing today. Repentance is the sunrise. And repentance is a changing of mind. And your mind has to change before your life will change. And if your mind changes, it will turn to Jesus and says, I want to build my life on you. So I want to say this. If it's your career, say to your career, or to your love life, 
or to your child's success, or to your family perfection, whatever it is that you, you're trying to build your life on, or to your perfect good looks, or to the everybody will like me, whatever it is, to your, say to your career, you're not my life. Say to your love life, you're not my life. And turn to Jesus and says, say, you're my life. You're my joy. You're my Christmas. Let's pray. There are so many Zechariahs. Our city is probably filled with them. Even among the people who are Christians, so many of us who are Christians, we don't have real joy. We have joy when our football team wins. We have joy when our our son gets a good SAT score. We have joy after we eat a good meal. But Lord, it, that joy just fleets away. And we may try to be blameless, but do we know really how to have the deepest joy to build our life on you. And I pray today, today will be a day of repentance, or at least the beginning of repentance for many of us that we would seek the deepest joy. And it is a hard thing. You know, like, we, 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 we so don't even know how to have joy in Jesus. <laughs> Most of us don't, Lord. We, 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 it's just so much easier to just find joy at the bottom of an ice cream, <laughs> at the, out of a pint of ice cream. But then, of course, you know, then we just feel bad because <laughs> we now know we're going to get fat. And we, but... I pray that as we listen to this Christmas story and as we sing these songs, we would say, Jesus, would you be my life? Not my career, not my kid, not my looks, not my love life, whatever it is. Jesus, please be my life. And we would take a step toward repentance and you would help us day by day repent and live. Live in your light. Live in life. In Jesus' name.